1: an actual difference. I mean, that would be crazy if that would be case. Because, you know, all of a sudden, because we're paying more money to blog talk, hey, guess what? The product works. The blog talk,
0: I you know you're out there. did um, you work? I'll <laughs> just right.
1: Hey, how's it going? I'm going to actually call Blog Talk and find out to make sure that we're actually on Blog Talk or a protein or whatever. So while we're doing that, you can drink your little daily probiotic like I'm doing. Mm. Just a tiny little um, yogurt drink. I usually get the little kid ones, but... um, All right, can everybody hear me out there? All right, you can actually hear me, yay! Welcome to We say Wednesday. I can't believe it, for the bestie. It's June 3rd. I was going to print something out this morning, but I didn't even get a chance to, that's no surprise, Uh, because I was running over to Tumbleweed's Health Center at 4826 East Broadway Boulevard, come on down and get certified if you'd like to, Um, and we got this whole new phone system, and our old message was working for a while. And then I got this call in the afternoon from one of our staff, and they're like, Yeah, we're getting this weird like, prompt if you want to go to English or Japanese or whatever you can't speak. And they're like, If you want that, pick And they we're like what? And like, what? So I called this morning. I was just checking voicemails, and um, boom, there's the message. Do, do, do. If you'd like English, press one. I'm like, Well, English? Well, what else would I want at I, this English want. <laughs> uh, be? so come on down to tumble beach health center if you want to get certified for any of the following conditions we're open six days a week right now uh we are closed sundays to give everybody a break and to do a little cleaning um and we'll get back to our sundays probably next month hopefully but If, in the meantime, you want to come down Monday through Saturday, you can, and we are accepting walk-ins, absolutely. The Conditions are PTSD, cancer, glaucoma, AIDS, chronic pain, severe nausea, seizures, including epilepsy and any other kind of seizures uh, or syndromes like that, Parkinson's, uh, leg tremors, um, all sorts of kinds of tremors, Uh, HIV, Hep C, ALS. Crohn's disease, agitation of Alzheimer's, which we know can be just a whole host of things through all the way to dementia, um, cachexia, or wasting syndrome, severe and persistent muscle spasms, including multiple sclerosis. And I want to mention that um, this is a state of Arizona uh, licensed program. So even though you have something that might not be going away, um, it we have to see you every Uh, if you're new, it'll be every two years now. Um, But it's not anything that we can change at Tumbleweed. People are like, well, I have this and it's never going away. And we 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 fully understand. Uh, And we sympathize with the fact that you have to leave your house and do all this garbage to get your card. But it's an important thing to do, especially if you use cannabis in this state. Um, Also, if you didn't hear your symptom or your ailment or your chronic condition on this list, don't worry. Fibromyalgia, migraines, um, cancer, all sorts of stuff. Uh, it, well, cancer's on the list, but under the chronic pain, all sorts of things fall under that. Uh, there's neuropathy and all sorts of things. So you can also get certified uh, if one of these uh, conditions, if you're or if, you're, if your condition's not on here, but you're taking a medication, um, or you're being treated somehow that is causing you to be sick and nauseous and have migraines and pain, then you can get certified that way uh, as well. That's right. Give us a call, 520-838-4430. You can email tucson at gmail.com, and you can just come on down to 4826 East Broadway Boulevard. I always forget to do this now with my little chat section section here because I don't have my little cows and fun things. Did I get it when I upgraded? Uh, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No. I don't think I got anything. Well, welcome, Silver Sister, to the show. How the heck is Grand Island? It's basically midnight out there. You guys start watching? so So if you're out there and you want to, uh, thank you, uh, if you're out there and you want to blog in or call in, uh, you can call in at 646-915-8421, and then when you're on the line, um, just press Number pound one hashtag one for all you youngins out there. I hate saying hashtag. Pound one. You guys are busting the LPs out again. Don't tell me you don't know this language, (laughs) but they don't know how to use a rotary phone. Yeah, I can. Anyway, we're talking about weed right now. Um, so okay, so let's see here. Um, no, we're not going to talk about the righteous 12, but in movies out soon, well, maybe next summer or next spring, hopefully the righteous 12 looking at my, um, my little intro design I've got here, a uh, little program. So sponsors, we'd really like to thank, uh, we have lots of great sponsors out there and a couple of them are on our website. Um, if you go to com and check out our website and go to the radio section. Uh, You can scroll down a bit and see a couple of our sponsors. Uh, Where are they? Right there. Health Online Digital Magazine. You don't have to go anywhere but where you are to check them out.
4: Health is a digital magazine focused on knowledge, safe access, and advocacy with a monthly subscription readership. It's loaded with scientific and clinical articles from various healthcare professionals, profiles of cannabis clinics offering safe access to medicines, national and local organizations open to the public, and real-life patient success stories. It's free to subscribe, so don't miss another issue of Canna Health.
1: Yep, check it out. You can go right to our website, and um, you can click on that uh, image right there. And then you can also... Um, if you, uh, right there next to it is the grower's house at 3635 East 34th Street. Um, go check them out. Giant warehouse full of things that you can grow anything, including your weed with. Um, tomatoes, tomatoes, whatever. Um, they have a get ready for summer sale on LED grow lights, uh, prism lights, uh, common culture of fabric pops. Um, and then you can spin to win, but I always try and spin them multiple times, I've, and they don't let me do that. Um, but you can win like 10 15 20% off your products. But they've got everything. Um, mini rocket boxes, I'm not sure what that is. Looks like something to control everything that's going on in your, your room. Uh, dehumidifiers, trimmers, soil, uh, lots of lighting. Uh, grow tent kits. You know, when I first started growing, because I've been growing for a while, um, I tried growing in a closet and I put foil all around and it was like a <laughs> tiny <100, 100 minutes. laughs> It
0: worked.
1: We called it Creepy Cheek because it was as sparkly as Tinkerbell, but it creeped up on you and kicked your booty. Um, but we have since learned they <laughs> need a little more air and a lot less heat and a a whole bunch of rock and roll so check it out Um, archaeologists discover um, oh so yeah hang on well this isn't really your neck of the woods we're just, see we're messing everything up already Well, we can see what's going on in your neck of the woods if we go to Arizona News, we're checking this out at Arizona, uh, azmarijuana.com let's see Uh, two county attorney candidates support easing marijuana enforcement well that's good because especially if you have your cannabis card which you should um, people need to just calm down with this we got a lot of other things on our plates right now to even think about this kind of crap all right three candidates are contending for the county attorney position in southern Arizona Pima County where Tucson is the most populous city there's like 1.6 million people here, I think. There are no Republican candidates running for the prosecutor position, so the winner of the Democratic Party later this year will become the next Pima County attorney, Tucson.com reported. The county attorney holds a lot of responsibility and power because once the crime is referred to them by law enforcement, they can decide whether or not to charge the defendants with the crime. Well, isn't that interesting? One candidate, Mark DeVolt, has been a deputy county attorney for 23 years. Mark supports not prosecuting low level drug users, but instead getting them access to treatment programs instead of prison. Quote, <laughs> so, I would start by not prosecuting a person arrested for under a gram of pocket drugs or for having a personal amount of marijuana, he said. He added that the enormous amount of money saved should go towards the victims of violent crime quote, victims' rights need to be prioritized in our justice system to ensure a safer and more supportive community. He'd like to see more grants for funding financial support programs and counseling victims. Um, another candidate, Jonathan Mosher, has a similar view, uh, view on relaxing marijuana enforcement. Mosher believes in, quote, restoring faith in the criminal justice system. He said, we need to stop prosecuting adults for our personal possession of marijuana. Yeah. So they're talking about a gram. Um, Be careful, kids, when you go to um, (laughs) pick up your weed from the dispensary. So I wonder, um, you know, in the dispensary, in the uh, medical world, so in the medical program you can have two and a half ounces. So I guess if you really need that much, you should probably stay in the medical program because in the recreational program you can only have an ounce at a time. And they do limit... What you can have as far as concentrates, I think it's a half a gram. In the medical <clears throat> medical program, you can have anything you want. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, they're introducing felonies and fines, and I'm get, I got. I was going to start reading that again because we should read the new one. I think there are a few changes, but you know, it's coming up June. Um, it says there's a poll here that 65. Percent of Arizonans would vote for the Smart and Safe Act if it makes it to the ballot. Let's see. I thought it was already going, but I guess they gotta they gotta count their signatures. Yeah, that's always the scary part. A new poll found that 65% of Arizonans would vote for the Smart and Safe Arizona Act if it makes it onto the ballot this November. The initiative would legalize marijuana use and possession for adults 21 years and older in Arizona. The poll by High Ground also found that 25% said they'd oppose the ballot measure and 9% are still undecided. A.V. Mirror reported. In March, the Smart and Safe Arizona Ballot Initiative reported that it had had already gathered more than uh, 300,000 signatures, well surpassing the 237,645 required to get listed on the ballot in November. Quote, Voters 50 and older are likely to make up more than half of the Arizona elect, uh, electorate this November, said High Ground, despite reservations that these uh, these audiences um, have indicated in the past. They appear likely to support Smart and Safe Arizona this time around. Voters 50 to 64 support the proposal with 63 percent, and 65 and older indicated Uh, 55% support. In fact, across all demographics, the only subset that did not achieve a majority of support was among those who described themselves as, quote, very conservative, quote, among that audience. The issue was split evenly, 47.6% in favor, and 47.6% opposed. So there you have it. In 2016, Prop 205 initiative attempting to legalize recreational marijuana in Arizona failed, 48.23% 48.23% to 51.77%. This failure was in due uh, part to pro marijuana Arizonans buying from multiple initiatives instead of compromising on Prop 205, <clears throat> which was by far the most popular initiative with the best chance of winning. If Arizonans had joined forces, Prop 205 would have passed, and adults in Arizona could have been enjoying legalized recreational cannabis for the past few years. Okay, so once again, um, you know, when when you're voting on these things, I'm not a big reader, um, but I read this kind of stuff because this is very important to me. Um, so we're going to get the new initiative. Um, it's just been changed. The wording has been changed a little bit. I, it'll be interesting to see how, because I have a whole list of notes on the uh, the other initiative. Um, in fact, I'm making a, a, a list of the just the comparisons, and you can call them pros or cons yourself or whatever they are, but um, I don't know. Re- reintroducing felonies and and such into the recreational program doesn't really make it that recreational. And they're limiting all sorts of things. So, yep, you can grow six plants, but the amount of people that are going to take advantage of that are going to be really low.
0: <laughs> this is
1: But it's not a fair initiative. It's not a fair initiative to businesses. It's not a fair initiative to citizens. Um, So I'm not voting for it. I'm voting no. Um, They claim to have uh, expungement for uh, prisoners, but it's not um, near like what Illinois did at all. Prisoners are still going to have to sit in their cells and um, petition. And that's not, you know, automatic expungement. So there's things. Maybe that's changed. We'll read it again. Um, but just read it, folks. That's the whole thing. That's that's what we want to talk to you about is just, you know, read these things for yourself and vote on them for yourself um, and make your own decisions. But read the whole thing. They're going to give you just snippets of, oh, this is great. That's great. You should read this. You should vote for that, blah, blah, blah. Um, decide for yourself what is great and what isn't great. All right. There you have it. So, let's see. Let's do a little news from around the world. I like it. Uh, News from around the world. What do we got? Oh, this is cool. Archaeologists discovered cannabis residue in an ancient temple. That's like a big brick of hash to me.
0: (laughs) Israeli archaeologists
1: say they found cannabis residue on artifacts from an ancient temple in southern Israel providing the first evidence of the use of hallucinogenics in the ancient Jewish religion. In a research paper, the authors say the discovery from an 8th century B.C. shrine at Tellerad offers the proof for, quote, the use of mind-altering substances as part of cultic rituals in Judah, quote, including the first Jewish temple that stood in Jerusalem at the same time. Archaeologists or archaeological excavations at Tel Arad, uh, located around 35 miles south of Jerusalem, in the 1960s, discovered a stronghold belonging to the ancient kingdom of Judah, and at its core, a small shrine bearing striking similarities to the biblical temple in Jerusalem. Chemical analysis of the samples conducted at Israel's Hebrew University and Technion uh, uh, Institute found that one altar contained the psychoactive compounds found in marijuana and the other had traces of frankincense. Oh. One of the ingredients mentioned in the Bible for the incense sacrifice in the ancient Jewish temples, the authors wrote, Aran Ari, curator of Iron Age archaeology at the Israeli, uh, Israel Museum in Jerusalem and lead author of the study said the discovery was, quote, revolutionary. Uh, as it was the earliest evidence of cannabis use, In the ancient Near East, and the quote, first time we see psychoactive substances in Judite religion, quote. The absence of cannabis pollen or seeds from the ancient Near East indicates that cannabis was likely um, imported over long distance trade routes, possibly in the form of resin, known uh, colloquially as hashish. My favorite thing. Oh, I love hash. I love hash. The chemical analysis from the Telerod altar showed it was burned atop uh, dried animal dung. Ooh. Oh. This stuff lights on fire, man. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. <laughs> I did. I said Oh, get it? It's good. You know, whatever. I couldn't help myself. That's pretty good stuff. Um, yeah, so it, we've heard, you know, Shakespeare, they found it in his pipes. You know, of course, along with cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting up and down at the same time. What do you? Am I going? Am I? Should I say or should I go now? Is that where that song came from?
0: Oh, we got
1: you guys. <laughs> I bet that was a fun couple of nights. All right. Um. Oh, here we go. Pain is no longer the number one reason why Americans use CBD. What is it? I bet it's anxiety. That's my quote. That's my guess. New Tier Data, a data provider in the cannabis industry in partnership with Payment Processor Square, released the first volume of its newest CBD series, US CBD, a CBD Consumer Report Archetypes and Preferences. Based on the largest US CBD consumer survey to date, the report analyzes and outlines nine unique consumer and non consumer archetypes. Key findings from that report, 60% of American CBD consumers report using CBD for some form of unwinding, like relaxation, relieving stress, and anxiety oh. reduction, of course. CBD purchases, uh, purchasers aged 35 to 54 are most likely, 21%, of any group to spend over $100 a month on CBD. CBD. of Americans reported being likely to purchase CBD in the following six months. 18% of Americans have tried CBD and 86% of Americans uh, know of CBD. 40% of of CBD consumers report using CBD at least once a week. Um, So it's interesting that uh, 18% of Americans have tried CBD, and 86% of Americans know of CBD because I literally, and this, this is um, still surprising to me when I when I run into somebody and I mention CBD and they don't know what it is. And it's you know not all that you know infrequent. You know I talk to a lot of people and um, just randomly at the park even and uh, or on my runs. I talk to a lot of people on my runs. Um, <laughs> Um, and some people know of it, and some people don't, so it's not surprising. Um, it says, New Frontier Data noted that CBD popularity popularity is sweeping across the world, but the United States currently represents the largest market for CBD products. Quote, our research shows that one in five Americans have used CBD, which demonstrates a major jump in consumer interest in the sector, said New Frontier Data. Yeah, that's, you know, pretty soon... In- instead of um, going for aspirin and ibuprofen and Tylenol and things like that um, people are going to be just going for cannabis and that's a great thing because it's a whole lot better um, it's a whole lot better for you alright so let's see uh, what else we have here uh, yeah tourism of course is high in states with <laughs> marijuana legalization <laughs> Interesting. Let's see. Oklahoma. Oh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. May be the first to implement marijuana breathalyzers. Oh boy. Wow. <laughs> um check for the resin on their lips, guys. <laughs> Sorry I just not I don't say anything. A P Oklahoma could soon launch a pilot program to conduct marijuana breathalyzer tests to determine if drivers are under the influence. The pilot program would consist of a breathalyzer test that can determine if a person has consumed cannabis within the last few hours. Currently, law enforcement can test for marijuana using a blood, urine, or hair sample, but the substance that's detected could be uh, from days prior. I wonder how they do that with food. Um, The state legislator passed a bill last week on the $300,000 project, that could make Oklahoma one of the first states in the nation to use the new technology. Oh boy, the Department of Public Safety will be required to establish rules and regulations to implement the pilot program, according to the Oklahoman. Under the pilot program, the results of a THC breathalyzer test would not be admissible in a court of law. Uh, Rep Scott Fetiger, Fetgatter, Fetgatter, sorry if I say that wrong. Scott said uh, participation should be voluntarily, uh, voluntary and test results should not be used in a punitive manner. A spokeswoman for the Department of Public Safety said it could take up to a year for the pilot program to get off the ground. The bill now awaits uh, action from Governor Kevin Stitt. All right. So, well, there you have <laughs> it. Breathalyzers. That's interesting. Um, I'm not so sure how that would work if they're going for, like, I mean, because there's all sorts of things. You can take a capsule, and that's not going to be on your breath. So, you test. you might have a bit of a problem. So, yeah, that's not so good. Um, all right. So, once again, you're listening to Weeds Day Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we lost Silver Sister. Where'd you go? You can come on down if you want to get certified. 4826 East Broadway Boulevard. Uh, We have, speaking of CBD, we have a ton of CBD products, and we ship our CBD products. And right now, if you order $50 or more, shipping is free. (laughs) We have all sorts of stuff too. We have uh, lotions. That's what I mean. Like if you put like a weed lotion on, how are they going to get that in your breath? Uh, you got arthritis in the knees and hands and you're like full of and all over everything and they're like I smoke. You're like, well, I'm not smoking it. I'm, I'm bathing in it. You know. I mean, <laughs> speaking of bathing in like, it, we have
0: bath bombs. We have CBD bath bombs. We have oh, we also have
1: CBD coffee. Oh my! If that's not the loveliest thing in the morning, I'm gonna go make myself a cup of tea at our break. But, um. It's because I don't have time to brew up that coffee really quick. But we have CBD coffee. We have decaf for myself. We have a Colombian and we have um, an organic uh, Colombian or something. Um, but come on down, 4826 East Broadway Boulevard. And let's
0: see we will check this out.
1: Are chronic
4: conditions holding you back from a happy, healthy life? Get on the right track with Tumbleweed's Health Center. Our CBD products are formulated to fit your healthy lifestyle. I would definitely say that
0: CBD has changed my life. I mean, I don't worry about my dog anymore, and I don't worry about sleeping anymore.
4: Tumbleweed's Health Center, voted number one health center in Tucson, has created a proprietary number of CBD blends, each designed to promote health and well-being. Let Tumbleweed's Health Center show you how CBD products might help you improve your life the natural way.
1: All right, yep, come on down, 4826 East Broadway Boulevard. Uh, you can give us a call at 520-838-4430. You can even email us at thctucson at gmail.com, and there's even more ways to get a hold of us because we know you guys like your your phones and devices, so try to make the website as phone-friendly as possible um, when you pull it up on the website. I believe there's a form on there that you can actually uh, fill in a question and ask us. So you can do that right from your phone. Um, let's see here. Uh, right now, yes, it says we're closed right now, but you can come on down at 10 o'clock and we'll open right up for you. And you know what else we're going to do for you? Play my favorite song. puff, 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 puff,
4: puff, 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 puff.
2: Walk into my house like, what up? I got some good pot. I'm just pumped up, got some herb from the pot shop. Ice in my fridge, it used to be frosty. My friends like, damn, that's a stone ass donkey. Rolling in hella high, looking like it's super time. Dominating all my friends as I eat some chili fries. Draped in a smuggie with my girl sitting next to me. Probably shouldn't have had a big gulp full of iced tea. Hello, hello, my main man, Obama. A couple states have just reformed their laws on marijuana. What you gonna do, send the feds there? Hell no, the DEAs will be like, ah, oh, they got volcanoes. I'm gonna smoke
4: some weed, only got $20 in my pocket. I'm a huntin', lookin' for a bot shop, this is fucking.
0: Stop being a hypocrite, you used to smoke weed, I'm gonna smoke some weed, only got $20 in my pocket. I'm a hunt, looking for
4: a fight shop, this is fucking awesome. Let's end the war on drugs, it's time to pull those love. These special interest groups are nothing more than corporate drugs. Let's end the war on weed. the people have agreed special
1: Alright, welcome back to Weed Day Wednesday everybody, what's up in your weed world? That's what we're gonna struggle. Eating, <laughs> oh, speaking of wearing, you know who wears weed? Doug Fine wears weed. Oh, well, the form of hemp. Anyway, you know, that's all good stuff. Hemp, weed, he loves all of it. But we're going to be listening to Doug Fine's book. We're going to continue on, American Hemp Farmer, adventures, adventures in the Cannabis Trade. We're going to the cannabis world industry. We're going to listen to that in just a few minutes. Um, how's your day out there? Um, it is a Wednesday. June 3rd. I can't even believe it's June. <laughs> years over
0: and everyone is still in a state of panic.
1: Um, I was going to read something about um, anxiety, but you know better to, to just listen to the soothing voice of uh, Doug Fine, I think. So let's get the audiobook out and let's get cozy. and I got myself a cup of jasmine tea. I go down to seven cups over on I think it's fifth it turns into six. Um, but I go down there and um, they have a really lovely selection of fine teas from China that they import. Um they're very delicious, so go support some local economy there. Anywho? Um here we go, Doug Fine. Uh, Let's actually put this up on the stack of weed books here. And uh, my uh, audience is too cozy to laugh, so (laughs) here we go.
3: Can that fellow? Hear what he has to say. When Chris Trump arrived on the scene, planting time was less than six weeks away. The tribe had decided to apply as one of the very few entities to wade into Washington's immensely flawed initial hemp program. Under the often sleep-deprived leadership of Jackie, the project was bravely forging ahead and nearly doubling its 2017 acreage. That meant soil building work. Mucking up my hemp version of Carhartt's, a brand called I&I Cooperative, grown in China, I asked Chris Trump why we were starting with fungus tracking. Much of our depleted farmland is totally devoid of fungal life, he explained as we climbed from the Colville field into a dreamscape pine and fir hillside above the river.
0: Mm. And
3: hemp, like many crops likes a balanced fungi to bacterial ratio. Fungus, in other words, is just one component of the immensely diverse, if tiny, nutrient forest you're wise to nurture even before you plant your main crop. And sure, it's a critical one, but your soil is an ecosystem as complex as any tropical rainforest. Your subterranean neighborhood ideally includes microscopic residents such as beneficial bacteria, protozoa, yeasts, and nematodes, to name a few. And don't forget earthworms and a whole slew of visible denizens of the soil's root zone. All work together with a shared goal. Make nutrients available to the roots of your hemp, and thus your eventual hemp product. Beneficial fungi are where you'll want to focus your first efforts. They are the key homeowner group in your soil neighborhood. Collectively, we'll call them mycelia during the vegetative phase when we gather them. Many of us who delve into the fungal life cycle have that moment when we really recognize that, just as we were taught, fungi aren't little plants. They are their own kingdom. Indeed, mushrooms are much older than tall forest trees. But broadly speaking, mycelia clusters are analogous to plant roots, and the visibly sprouting mushroom is akin to the flower. It's no exaggeration to say that mycelia are a key part of your hemp bottom line. Mm -hmm. Your goal in the field is beautiful plants. Mm -hmm. Every hemp farmer surges with pride when her farm is bursting with pungent flowers, each testing gravity with its crystalline trichome frosting. Trichomes are the tiny sticky cones on female cannabis leaves and flowers where the cannabinoids like THC and CBD reside. When you get very close to a hemp flower, and I recommend you do often, just watch out for bees, the trichomes look kind of like translucent amber mushrooms themselves. Even when you're growing for seed, you still love to see dense flower formation. It's visual and fragrant proof that you're getting the job done in the field. That's the goal come fall. But on that day in April, the Coville Travel Field was bare and in need of help. This is why we were training our gazes to focus on very small critters. We weren't thinking morels or chanterelles as we tromped in ankle-deep mush, but little wavy white trails of filaments that are found thriving under leaves and rocks and alongside roots in the liveliest pockets of your watershed's forest ecosystem. The best places to look are directly along the source of water flow to your fields, Chris Trump explained to me as my boots suctioned flatulently out of a bog. By gathering the mycelia from the forest above your fields, you're transporting them to a soil they love and recognize and in which they can thrive. This remains one of my favorite parts of conscious soil building, that, for best results, gather your nutrients close to home. A concept agronomists call a closed nutrient loop. And I love even more that the fungi you unearth for your own field are likely not found anywhere else on the planet. The plan was to find and gather these blooms and mix them with rice and sugar, thus expanding the colony into a rich compost tea before diluting it and applying it to the tribe's field. Trump, 36, is a fellow known in soil circles for bringing this technique to large acreage farming, having proved that it works on his family's 800-acre macadamia nut farm on Hawaii's Mm, Big Island. He's since moved to Idaho, which is another reason he was a perfect choice, for schooling the comparatively nearby Coalville Project. Chris Trump's professional life is dedicated to soil regrowth. I don't think I'll ever digest everything he explained to us in those hills. I was constantly jotting down the more polysyllabic bits of microbiology dialect to look up later. As the Alabama-based soil expert, Michael the Dirt Nerd LaBelle once said to me, the interplay of microorganisms is not rocket science. It's much more complex than rocket science. But Chris's key theme was that fungus is something of the glue, the undercurrent, the foundation of the microbial Pueblo. I was his willing student, and not just because I was on the clock for the Colville project or because the information might help my own entrepreneurial hemp projects that year in Oregon and Vermont. I was thinking about human survival. Specifically, I was thinking about those 3 billion tons of carbon that each inch of restored topsoil sequesters annually. 3 billion tons mitigate 10% of annual fossil fuel carbon emissions. That's just one inch of soil. Imagine four or six worldwide. That much provides us a window to finally realize en masse that the sun's power is free and to rev the biomaterials-based economy into gear. The main reason hemp is such a soil-building aid is largely mechanical. It's not that hemp itself is a nitrogen fixer like alfalfa, clover, or vetch but rather that its long tap roots create a transportation network for your soil's beneficial microbes. When thriving, these microbes allow your plant to perform its photosynthetic gymnastics like an in-shape athlete. Soil microclimate building feels timely in eastern Washington. According to the Washington Grain Commission, the state's wheat country produces more of the amber grain than Greece. 2.2 million acres. I started the day driving through a swath of it. Wheat, wheat, everywhere I looked for hours was just a landscape of monoculture wheat. Most of it sprayed year after year with herbicides such as dicamba and 2,4-D. You could fly over this land in a small plane for an hour and not see a break in wheat acreage. For a century, this region's soil has been a key breadbasket of the nation, or at least a wheat thins basket. You can't ignore wheat if you live north of Spokane. Its seasons dominate everything. But Washington's wheat represents monoculture at the tail end of its peak, with yields stagnating or declining as soil weakens. Whenever I've paid Colville field visits, in between wheat seasons, the landscape looks like the Sahara. Change is on the horizon. Lifelong rancher Richter told me, Wheat farmers tend to be cautious folks who have done it the same way for a long time. Mm -hmm. Now they're seeing wheat hit an all-time low in prices, and they're definitely paying attention to what we're doing with hemp. It'd make a natural transition. They want to crow what makes their families a living. Korean natural farming. Look for the filaments we can see in strands, Chris Trump directed me as we trudged through a streamside cluster of ponderosa pines, mullein, and willow. Mm. The season's first wildflowers were just coming into bloom, especially the creamy white arrowroot. And at one point during the trek, we had to sidestep wild horses. Chris is a solid fellow in spirit and build who speaks in the kind of near whisper that makes you pay attention, especially outdoors. And there in the Columbia River Basin, he was usually describing important things, such as the difference between beneficial and potentially dangerous fungi. He referred to the colonies like old friends. Under fallen wood and leaves is best because that's where these guys like to chew. Our group of microbe trackers included Trump, two of his interns, Jackie, myself, and the married couple who wound up buying the entire 15,000-pound Colville seed harvest seven months later, Greg Necco and Tanya Farman of a seed processing startup called Hemp Northwest. We struck white gold after about 35 minutes of hiking and tucked a pound or so of our crusty booty into glass jars, more than enough to make tea for 100 acres. I asked Trump how it is we can actually see the strands since what we're looking for as individuals are microscopic. Mm. When they're collecting in clumps larger than four micrometers, they become visible to us, and at that size, you know they won't be dangerous, he said. We're aiming to get a snapshot of the local beneficial species and take them down the hill to the farm. On our way back to the acreage late that morning, I spun around in camera-ready position with every sudden sound whether a startled hawk's flutter or a colleague's water bottle clanking on a carabiner. That's because this area of moss-covered second growth and dense huckleberry clusters, 100 miles from Canada, is the prime spot for snapping that $100,000 Bigfoot photo for which the Mm. National Enquirer surely has a standing order. I have several questions for Sasquatch, including is there a whole Bigfooted community? Does it require a hemp consultant? And is there internet access? But before I could sneak off to make any kind of coordinated stake off, Chris called me over to show me a particularly impressive tangle of microbes. I first learned about KNF at a Hawaii Farmers Union Convention workshop in 2016. Folks on the Big Island pretty easily convinced me that it was legit. KNF comprises a fairly complex and formal regimen of soil development. There is a catalog of soil building steps when you really get into it, all of them identified with abbreviations such as the IMO, indigenous microorganism step, the water-soluble calcium step, and the fermented plant juice step. Fermented plant juice, Trump said, is an enzyme-rich concoction aimed at providing plant energy. All soil theories worth their salt, including KMF, are based on the premise that what you think of as your final crop starts with a mini version in the soil. The soil-building regimens they propose guide you to making a home for the microbes. In fact, in fact, Chris suggested that the Tribal Project conduct a special soil test of not just traditional N nitrogen, P phosphorus, and K potassium, but also active bacteria, fungi, and protozoa, which about sums it up. The teamwork amongst these families of critters gets you going with microscopic soil building. I noticed when I checked the soil testing company's catalog that testing for nematodes is extra. That's a sentence I never imagined I'd write. Just as Chinese medicine and Western medicine take different approaches to the shared goal of good human health, so Korean natural farming is about a microbe-focused process that, the theory goes, leads to more bioavailable nutrients for your crop than dumping synthetic nutrients out of a bag. Bioavailability describes the proportion of a mineral, vitamin, or sugar that a person or a plant can make use of from its diet. It's one of my favorite nutritive concepts. We're talking about the reason building soil provides a competitive advantage. Forget apples and oranges. Even talking about apples and apples hinges on whether the nutrients reach your body when you take a bite. When we discuss bioavailability in the soil, we mean maximizing the nutrients our plants can absorb in their roots and in turn provide us with in a supremely dank hemp crop. To get your best hemp crop, you're aiming to create the conditions that will allow these kingdoms of microflora and fauna to form the kind of neighborhood we all wish we had in our macroscopic lives. Everyone thriving in harmony with everyone else, providing a cup of sugar when asked, making extra room if desired. Just as in a human community, there might be a blacksmith, farmers, and a nurse, Trump said, we are nurturing a microbial community, which occurs by itself in nature, but which needs rebuilding in most of the world's farmland. The result for the farmer is that a healthy amount of the traditional nutrients we Westerners think of as valuable for our plants, good old NPK, is getting to the plants. Ultimately, a plant's roots trade sugar for nutrients, Michael LaBelle told me, and microbes in your soil act like your gut preparing your stomach for food. A takeaway here, I hope, is that you're willing to test your soil before you start growing hemp. But soil nurturing doesn't necessarily mean adding a huge amount of amendments to your crop. Even as you learn as much as you can about your soil starting condition, your soil building can include a strategy of not doing much. Some of my most thriving hemp crops to date have sprung from soil that had been fallow for 10 years or more, and on which we human farmers did little soil amending. I find I'm very good at not doing stuff. Ask me to skip a step in any process, and you'll find me profoundly adept. (laughs) Heck, I've left goat poop and alfalfa hay tailings sit so long in my truck bed that it sprouted fresh alfalfa. Still, not wanting to rely on my mere real-life experiences in the field, I checked in with the dirt nerd, LaBelle, to see if he agreed that sometimes less is more. If your soil is pH balanced and you lay the basic groundwork, you can let the microbes do the work, he said. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Well, I've got 12 years of goat milk duds on this soil. Then you're golden. If nitrogen (laughs) is decent on your farm and you can add only a few things, in most cases it'll be calcium and magnesium, you will be on your way to a healthy crop. It's usually trace minerals that are lacking. That's what you should think about supplementing. And that is exactly our strategy on the Funky Butte Ranch this year. We're starting with mycelia, overwintering nitrogen-fixing cover crops, and goat poop alfalfa mix, plus some diluted kelp. That's it. Modern KNF was founded by Cho Han-Kyu, 84, today called Master Cho by his fans, who blended traditional Korean cultivation styles with modes he learned in Japan. It is one amongst an array of clever techniques that humans across the world have discovered over millennia to ensure that the same limited amount of soil is fresh and ready to go again next season. No one technique represents the only right way, although I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that I visited a comparative trial on Maui where a plot of KNF Kalo just crushed the conventional control crop. I tend to lean toward applications of any kind in any field that are based on processes that have been functioning for 8,000 years. I liked long-established farming techniques because most of human history has taken place before what we might call the whole foods era. The farmer's task until very recently has been simple and stark. Grow food successfully through harvest and storage every single year or die, (laughs) and humans are still here. Take Korea. Yay. Korea had pretty much only Korea's fields to rely on for food until the Whole Foods era. Folks there, rich or poor, didn't have Chilean robo-salmon to import or Mexican takeout mm-hmm. around the corner. So perhaps eight millennia ago, they figured out a regenerative way to manage the same fixed acreage every spring. Mm-hmm. Mapping Trump's lessons on my home crop... The reason we're actively building soil, including unintentional, if regular, supplies of my own blood, is because it had been overgrazed by mules in the 1990s long before I moved here in 2005. For the most part, though, my theory is create a desirable home and let the soil do its thing. The Costs and Benefits of Soil building. When I asked him about the various costs that our putative 20-acre hemp farmer would need to consider to build soil according to his natural farming system, Trump said that to start, you can expect your input and labor costs to be about $100 per acre for the whole KNF regimen. That's equivalent to the startup costs of conventional farms. But in Hawaii, he said, We've learned so much over a decade that we've got the system locked in to the point that our macadamia nut farm costs are down to $27 per acre. By contrast, mm. Jackie said the Colville project soil building cost for the Colville crop in 2018, which primarily used standard organic inputs, was $23,000. That's several times higher than Trump's per acre cost. One of Chris's key educational bullet points is that as your soil strengthens, annual costs go down. In fact, He pointed out that one of the most appealing elements of natural farming is that by encouraging local microorganisms, they can begin to reproduce on their own, reducing input time in each successive year. We do about three applications of the various KNF regimens per season now, when we used to have to do 10, he said. Chris Trump works full-time on his soil. For those with less patience, Plenty of folks will gladly offer you Miracle Soil Cure Formulae, which Chris calls bugs in a jug. These are the Gold Rush Shovel Merchants. If you do your research, I'm sure many of these products are terrific. Plus, I'm glad farmers are talking about soil microbes again. Mm -hmm. But Chris believes that lasting soil building, like success in the wider hemp industry, is not a quick fix proposition. What it is is potentially enduring. We return from hillside mushroom picking in the early afternoon. As we set up shop for the cooking stage of fungus building alongside the plowed and ready Colville field, one of Chris's interns, Morgan, set a centerpiece of huge, delicately white-petaled arrowroot bronze on a project truck bed. Beside it, we mixed up the concentrated base of a mushroom tea to feed soil that would then feed a hemp crop. Fungi are the most finicky microbes to cultivate, Chris said as he pulled out a rice cooker, a device you don't see in a hemp field every day. Mm -hmm. In nature, it takes an animal to transport them and drop them off their hoof or something like a landslide. The bacteria and yeasts are far easier to grow out.
0: Mm.
3: So fungus breeding it was. The first thing we did that afternoon was cook up three pounds of organic rice, the medium on which, after mixing in some sugar, we further bloomed our fungus colony. Rice is among the fattier of grains, Chris explained. The fungal colony chews on the fat-carb mixture. For now, that's its nursery. With the mycelia feeding, Chris showed us how to transform the resulting concoction into a shelf-stable, dormant state. This involved drying the mixture thanks to the chemical bond created between the mixture's sugar and any water. This part is like salting fish so it won't rot, he said. While it's stored, it's essentially in a cryo-freeze. When you're ready to spread it on your farmland, he said, grab the jar from your shelf, dilute it into tea form, and you have this indigenous, ready-made inoculum that will benefit your crop. Chris went on to explain that there's quite a bit more to be done than he could cover in one afternoon before a compost tea is ready for soil application. He outlined four steps, in fact, which are called Indigenous Microorganism 1, IMO1, for the first step, which is that rice mixture we made. IMO2 for the second step, which is the shelf-stable phase he'd begun to demonstrate, and so on. Experienced KNF practitioners are meticulously detailed about each step in this process, which at later stages involves mixing your fungi culture with soil to commingle microbes and bringing in the nematodes and microarthropods, the next level of the food chain. Then, condensing several steps here, you brew it out to get your concoction ready for application to your waiting field. You can do this on small or large acreage by making and applying a batch of compost tea from a final stage IMO rice culture at a rough ratio of 20 gallons per acre. For large acreage, you add the tea to watering lines. For smaller gardens, you hand apply it to soil. As much as I like what I was seeing that day in the Colville field, equally strong confirmation came in the form of a lifelong professional farmer's buy-in. The Colville Project's man on the ground was 58-year-old Dan Townsend, who joined us for much of the mushroom-focused afternoon. He was a professional farmer, the guy who knew how to repair a combine and fix the massive tube network of an irrigation system known as a pivot. And he came to him recently from a family with three generations of wheat experience. (laughs) Creating this kind of living ecosystem in the soil, I can see straight off that it's likely to work, he told me that spring evening as we closed the farm gate. It makes sense to me and they definitely would want to play with it some more. The Most Improved Crop Award. Access to the Colville Hempfield comes either via a tribe-owned, state-operated ferry or through a spine-readjusting network of Forest Service dirt roads for which four-wheel drive only isn't a strong enough warning. For three years, I had to explain to the Spokane Rent-A-Car folks each time I returned a crumbling, not-ready-for-prime-time crossover SUV that I'd been out of the United States for most of my visit. You mean Canada? The counterwoman usually asked, contemplating what kind of surcharge I might be subject to for moving into kilometer territory. (laughs) No tribal land, I replied. And Uh, that usually ended the discussion.
1: Well, that's awesome. And at that, we want to give some serious shout-outs to Doug Fine um, and his book, and I'll say this proper, Doug, I'm sorry. American hemp Farmer Adventures and misadventures in the Cannabis Code. We will continue to read that. Um, well, we will continue to listen to that next week. And uh, I will also try and find the initiative so we can read that for you guys. Uh, vote smart. <laughs> and vote safe. Vote educated. Um, thank you for tuning in. Next week, Cannabis Kid will be here. <laughs> Woo!
0: And, um, that's about it for this week.
1: Just, you know, be safe out there. Seriously, be smart, be safe, and educate in every realm of what you're doing. Be safe. And I, you know, bad to say that these times, but seriously, be safe. We love you guys, and thank you so much for listening to our show each and every week. Um, imagine that. Um, it works when you pay more. <laughs> so, anyway, um. Have an awesome Wednesday, Wednesday, and we'll catch you all next week.